I'm delighted to be with Aditya Thakre, who is the Minister for the Environment and Forests of Maharashtra. And we're going to be talking about climate change, a subject in which he is quite passionate, as you'll discover. So, Aditya, I've discovered that 43 cities in your state, Maharashtra, are set to join the United Nations-led Race to Zero campaign that aims to commit to achieving net zero emissions by 2050. That seems a very ambitious target. And we know that, as in most parts of India, most power generation in your state comes from conventional fossil fuel sources. So how do you think you're going to be able to do this? Um, and as you know, you and I have this passion for, for clean air. If it works, it'll really give, you, give everybody in Maharashtra clean air to breathe. But how do you get there? So it's a pleasure interacting with you again. And you know, for air pollution, for climate change, uh, we've had multiple conversations before. And the reason why we connect over air pollution is, you know, you and I and a couple of more people we know in our fraternity of politics with this rare breed of people who are speaking about air pollution, um, clean water, clean air, uh, the right to life in terms of a better environment uh, in our field of politics. Now, obviously, the whole factor in this is even today, the talk of climate change, the talk of um, anomalies in weather, erratic weather patterns, are they becoming climate change? Are we being hit hard by climate change? Mm -hmm. This is still in closed doors. This is still in these uh, think tanks, NGOs, a couple of us speaking behind closed doors and four walls. The whole idea really is to bring this to the people, bring it to the common person, uh, to the common man, common woman on the street, to make him or her realize that what climate change is about and how his or her life is being impacted by that. Right. When we speak about 43 cities of Maharashtra that are already part of Race to Zero and that we had signed up um, when we were off to COP26, mm -hmm. the whole idea really was we've got 60 million people out yeah. of our 120 million people living in these 43 cities. These are all million-plus cities. Um, when a city participates in something like a Race to Zero, obviously we've got to look at uh, its decarbonizing of you know, energy, transport, Rainwater percolation, rainwater harvesting, energy efficiency, smaller cities, better planned cities. Uh, the whole dynamics really changes. And you have urban local bodies, you've got mayors, you've got local MLAs, MPs really participating in something called the Race to Zero. The idea really is to A, act on ground rather than just speak, get cities to participate. That's almost 51%, 52% of our state to be participating in this. Mm -hmm. And two, our elected representatives that represent these cities, be it the mayors, be it the corporators, be it the MPs or MLAs, to be aware of what climate change is. Because when you and I represent a constituency and we face something like a flash flood or a hailstorm or a heat wave, we often ask our own governments and our own cabinets and our heads of state for compensation. And rightfully so, because the people uh, deserve it, people require it. Of course. But for us to realize why this is happening again and again, I think that is very important. So the crux of joining Race to Zero officially is to move towards this. And yet you know, because I've discovered this the hard way, that when you go back to the constituency and talk to voters, climate change issues are never on their list of priorities to hassle you about. They've got plenty of other things they want their MP or their MLA to do. Climate change, it's a distant concept. How it do is, we change that? No, it is not a political issue as of now. I mean, apart from the political issue that we believe in, globally it is. I mean, you've seen a lot of countries, be the United States of America, United Kingdom, Germany, a couple of them have green parties coming up. You've got a couple of more other countries around the world. But for us, where climate change really hits us hard and drives home a point where is it really relevant to speak about climate change even today is like how you mentioned about coal and thermal plow. Mm -hmm. um, today, if you look at India, most of us, are reeling under a heat wave. Yeah. Uh, just as of now, Vidarbha in our state has uh, got a signal for a heat wave. And obviously when things like these happen, 
your requirements for cooling go higher your energy usage goes higher sure. and you need to expand on your energy production the most easiest way to do this as of today is coal and thermal power i mean coal and thermal power is one and the same but ideally it is the safe, safest Basically easiest fossil way fuels fossil fuel and firm power um what we are really wanting to work around with partners around the world be it regional governments national governments think tanks is to look at alternative sources of energy that are clean green and firm because that is very crucial for us as a state because you know as the state of maharashtra or even kerala or karnataka tamil nadu delhi when we look at development you know and urbanization or even rural areas our requirement for energy is only going to keep going higher mm. how do you suffice that how do you saturate that energy with clean energy how do you saturate that requirement with clean energy i think that is the question well, i'm told that in maharashtra vehicular emissions which of course we know in delhi as well construction operations which is considerable in your state paved and unpaved road dust landfills open rubbish burning and industrial emissions all contribute to your pollution the question is can we somehow incentivize the private sector as well as the government sector to reduce these sources unfortunately over the past few years everything that you mentioned right now in terms of thermal power uh, construction work road work paved work uh, you know landfill all of it was seen as symbols of development you know using through culture and you you've always seen them as symbols of development because when urbanization happens you've got construction happening cities like mumbai that you have buildings which are about 70 years old 80 years old they are undergoing change uh, newer highways are being built flyovers are being built so they are going to have an impact on our pollution the question really is and where the private sector really comes into play and as well as government both of us together is can development be sustainable mm-hmm. can we ensure that landfills are not being filled up anymore the legacy mm-hmm. that waste that we have we've got to biomine it the waste that is going to our landfills can we actually use it locally collect it locally segregate locally and use it for waste to energy is that possible in a country like ours where segregation has never been a habit for the last 20 years before that my grandparents generation they used to segregate their waste mm. uh, the milk pouches that used to come they used to give it back to the milk person that's right recycling that, was the thing recycling was the thing reuse was the thing you know we never had to teach the world the, about the 3 rs now that we've got used to this sense of development which is you know sort of a blur between development and pollution that is where we are going wrong and i think sustainability which was our grandparents time mm-hmm. i think if that comes back in rolling into our country that is where we could actually make much more use of it you know um i was talking to nitin gadkari yesterday the union transport minister and he's a bit of an evangelist for uh, electric uh, vehicles and for green hydrogen other forms of energy because transport is such a big contributor to pollution to greenhouse gases to climate change i understand that maharashtra has joined hands with uh, ev100 to boost corporate adoption of electric vehicles um uh, and you have basically been pushing a more expanded more generous more liberal uh, electric vehicle policy right so can you tell me about this and also how will it mitigate the air pollution crisis in your For state for us uh, decarbonizing energy and decarbonizing transport have been two major priorities because a uh, they're important for the entire decarbonization world and two transport is also low hanging fruit for us um moving towards clean energy moving towards electric mobility i remember the first buses that ran on the streets in india for public transport were mumbai and in 2014 2015 we brought in the first few buses through bmc um they've been electric what percentage of your fleet was that be? so that was six buses today okay. we are 386 buses out of 3000 buses all right 10% by 2025 we're going to hit about 7000 buses and by 2027 that is the furthest target that we've set for ourselves we want to hit 10000 buses on the city, uh, on the streets of mumbai 
almost 60% of them would be double-decker and almost every bus would be electric or if you know economics prevail and permit us, hydrogen. Um, but even today... Right as now, hydrogen is not yet commercially scalable still, and it's not affordable. It's yeah. still in the workings. But, but it might um, get there if Gadkari has his way. Exactly. But you know, for us uh, as Maharashtra, uh, we had seen this report in between where more than 51% of all the electric vehicles in India are actually running in Maharashtra. Uh, public transport is something we're moving rapidly towards electrification. Private transport is something that we've started moving. Our incentives are doing the magic. We've had almost 500% jump in the last year in terms of registrations of EVs. And for two-wheelers, um, b- purchasing a two-wheeler electric is actually way cheaper than an ICE. Through tax incentives or what? Through our state incentives and uh, through the incentives that we are working around with the finance partners, banking corporations and stuff like that. However... And I was making this issue with uh, Mr. Gadkari, and I wasn't totally convinced by his reply. Look at the shortage of infrastructure. Look at the lack of charging stations. I'll tell you a figure I've checked. As of March 25th this year, so just last month, there are a total of 10,76,420 electric vehicles in India and a total of 1,700 public charging stations. Now, if we don't have accessibility everywhere to charging infrastructure, wouldn't the electric vehicle become a burden for us? It's and more isn't it the state's responsibility? It is, and it's, it's more like a public-private partnership that we're looking at. In mm-hmm. fact, uh, right now, with the EV100, all the hotels that have signed up with it, all the corporates that have signed up with it, they're opening up their spaces for charging stations in the next six months, as close as that. Um, all the bus depots of all public transport infrastructure for all the cities across Maharashtra, we're opening up bus depots for charging infrastructure. Car parks from hotels, all of that will be opened up. But more crucially, I think it is a question of whether you buy a mobile phone first or a charger first. <laughs> you know, once you buy a phone, you start looking for a socket. And most of the vehicles that are on streets today, especially the two-wheelers, you can put them in your regular ACDC socket and charge it. The only difference would be the time of charging. And most vehicles, the maximum 100% charging time is about three hours. Going beyond that, we're working with companies around the world for swappable battery infrastructure. And that is something which will be really, really crucial for us. So what's in a, swappable infrastructure? So if you look at what's happening in some places around the world, especially what, what we can do in our states and where we have three-wheelers and two-wheelers, the battery sizes for these are smaller. Mm. Uh, it's almost like your arm's length. Okay. So you basically go to a fuel station, take a battery, pull it out from the charging, put it into your vehicle, put your old battery into it, use it like a utility and you move ahead. So it'll actually bring down the cost of your vehicle make um, your batteries more like a utility like what fuel is today. And save your time. And save your time. And what we have designated our fuel stations to be across Maharashtra and the unified DCR that was recently launched is we've called it fuel, also alternative fuel stations. So you can have flex fuels, hydrogen, ethanol, electric, whatever, as we move ahead in time. Okay. Now, you and I have been talking about something we can today reveal to the public. I was waiting for this opportunity. And that is to look very credibly at regional cooperation on air pollution by setting up an interstate council of environment ministers to tackle air pollution. You've graciously agreed to chair that. I'm delighted to announce that today to the world. And what I'd like to ask you very, and of course ORF, under whose auspices we're doing this, have agreed to support us. What I'd like to ask you is how important is this kind of interstate cooperation on air pollution? Is air pollution really solvable at that level? Do we only need the central government? Can we get more things out of state governments that perhaps we can do through a top-down air pollution policy from Delhi? I think we need to have a bottom-up approach because yeah. um, 
what I've started, you know, seeing, especially working closely with cities and even rural areas and districts and, you know, different units of governance, is if you start implementing things on ground, policies actually mature themselves because otherwise policies come top bottom and uh, top down approach and they remain on paper because most of them are not practical enough. For us, as a country of more than a billion people, for us, who's you know a country with so much diversity, um, and yet we have a shared future, all as one India. Uh, we need to look look at different states cooperating and working shoulder to shoulder. You know, we cannot have one state running the entire mile for climate change and the other state not really doing anything. But in your experience as a state environment minister, have you actually found any institutional cooperation with other states? We have. We, we've, we've have had you been talking to other state ministers? Not at the level that we are now looking at working on and especially a couple of months ago I'd written to the union environment minister right. because we formed the Maharashtra Council of Climate Change. And what I've come to believe is climate change and environment is no longer just the work of the environment department. Right. It's actually more the work of energy, transport, urban development, and rural finance. development, finance, planning, industry, transport, agriculture. These eight or nine sectoral uh, departments that we need to be working together. If we can have a National Council of Climate Change where all five elements of nature can be talked about, discussed, you know, peer-reviewed, I think that could be really helpful. But for us, that you, know, that you envisioned in terms of getting everyone on board, if we can actually have this regional cooperation, I think it'll be a way lot easier for us to work because one river flows from one state to another. Uh, the wind is common, air is common. You know, it's, it's all of us who've created borders. We've created borders for ourselves, not for pollution as well. Yeah, we, we, we can't put up a fence in the sky and sort of wall off our climate from the next state. But um, you've looked at the National Clean Air Program, I'm sure. I'm just curious about whether we can have any re reasonable sort of air shed management problems for air pollution. Uh, there's talk of establishment of a commission for air quality management, which um, would essentially give you an opportunity to monitor and manage air pollution uh, in the national capital region. That's become the one thing that people in the media have woken up to. Every Diwali, people say, my God, Delhi is unbreathable. We've got to get out of here. Now, the situation here is... Um, how do we make this kind of thing work in such a way that the states are not disempowered in the process? I'm very concerned about maintaining the integrity of our federal system and ensuring that states have the first responsibility where they are. But every time you get more than one state together, the challenge becomes the only authority above them is the center. Do you have any thoughts on that? I think we need a council like the GST council you have for finance. We need a national that's council. That's chaired by the union finance. Which is fine as long as the states have a view and states have a vote out there. Because finally, the idea would be to bring everyone on board. And, you know, we need to go beyond the political borders that might come in between two states. But for us, as working state to state, if we can actually put the politics of everything aside and add environment to politics when we are campaigning to our manifestos, to our election man management. That is one. But apart from that, I think we need to go to the root of the problem. And the root of the problem is climate change and the human impact on climate change. Are we acting as catalysts to you know, fuel it further or can we hold it back? Right. Can we indulge in mitigation measures? Do we also need to act on resilience? Do we need to act on adaptation? I think these are some of the measures and thought processes that we need to have across the country, uh, state to state, region to region. And that's how we move ahead. But you look, for example, at Delhi. Uh, when we get our pollution in this city, a lot of it comes from the West, from Haryana, Punjab, uh, farmers burning stubble, that sort of thing. Isn't there going to be a challenge for any state to persuade a different state to do something in its benefit? This remains the challenge. I think the bigger challenge would be for us, as you know, because obviously we come from political backgrounds, to keep away from the temptation of blame game yeah. and the temptation of politics and 
showing one-upmanship, then that's why I've always maintained right from the beginning that this is not about who's faster than the other. This, this climate change race is not about whether Maharashtra is doing better than Goa or Karnataka or Madhya Pradesh. We've all got to be shoulder to shoulder because finally we've got elephant corridors, tiger corridors, uh, human corridors of logistics and industry as well. And how do we maintain the sanctity of both, of biodiversity, wildlife and ecology along with our development and create a sustainability factor between the both? You're so right. And in fact, I, I, I want to just take two quick issues before we wrap up. One is the public health aspects of air pollution. We need to do much more, don't you think, to explain to people that there's a lot of damage being done to their health because we aren't tackling air pollution on a war footing. I've realized, for example, that according to the latest figures, long-term exposure to outdoor and household air pollution has contributed 1.6 million deaths every year in our country because of stroke, heart attack, diabetes, lung cancer, chronic lung diseases, and neonatal diseases. I was horrified to realize that 116 Indian infants died in their first month of life only because of air pollution factors, especially indoors, but also outdoors, the PM 2.5 all over the place. We really need to get a campaign out to people saying, this is why it's worth it fighting this. And the second aspect is women. Women suffer disproportionately from bad air, especially those who are cooking indoors and are breathing firewood fuel and so on. The government came up with the Ujbala scheme, but most people can't afford refills. And the problem with that, therefore, is they use it once in a while, which means they're still getting the bulk of the pollution into their lungs. So it's also a gender issue. And I think we really have to do our very best to tell our voters, tell our citizens that this is about them. It's not some sort of abstract target that the Prime Minister went off and announced in Paris. It's about their daily lives and their well-being here. Exactly. And even today, you know, when we speak about climate change and air pollution and health, uh, obviously there is a lot of correlation that we can see. We can see a lot of direct impact on human life for the fact that you've got to pop an Allegra when you go into a dusty area, you know, you start sneezing or you get watery eyes and that happens with all of us. Now, in terms of, uh, you know, neonatal healthcare or in terms of whether women are impacted or men are impacted or whatever age is impacted, I think that is again for something, you know, for science to prove and that's still going on because in most of our ministerial replies, it said that it is not yet proven, although we know that it is being proven. The World Health Organization exactly. it's proven. What I would rather focus on, and you know, as, as you rightly said, this healthcare is one, and it's also a priority for a lot of people. But for a lot of people also, your basic right to life is to breathe clean air and have clean water. If we are struggling for this, even in the 21st century, what are you and I as politicians working for? We're working for a better quality of life for India and for the world at large. I think that if we as all politicians across all parties uh, and regions can come together on, I think that will be the biggest single moment of reckoning and single moment of realization for India at 75. That's absolutely wonderful, Aditya Thakre. I just want to thank Aditya and to tell you all, we have here a young minister with an eye on the future of our country, not just his own political future, but the future of generations yet to come who have to live in a cleaner environment and breathe healthy air. Uh, Thank you once again from the Rezina Dialogues, Farside Chats, Aditya Thakre, good to be with you, and I look forward to working with you on the Interstate Council for Clean Air. Thank you, and we've decarbonized fire. We don't have fire out here at the Fireside Chat. That's right. A, a fireless chat is what we should have called it. Thanks very much. Well Thank said. you. Thank you for tuning in to Policy Pod, the ORF podcast. Please subscribe to our channel for updates on upcoming episodes.